So some of you know that my wife grew up in Lexington, Virginia. It's a quaint, historic, beautiful, small town nestled right there in the Shenandoah Valley at the base of the Blue Ridge. One of my favorite times of year to be in Lexington is right about now. The weather has turned cold, actual cold, something a little colder than we consider cold here in southeast Georgia. If you get lucky, it may even be a little snowy. Aaron and I always loved to get bundled up, and we would walk from the house she grew up in downtown, do some window shopping, take in the decorations on Main Street, maybe pop in and get a hot cup of coffee. The route from her house to downtown would often lead us down Jackson Avenue. And it was there on Jackson Avenue that there was this gorgeous Victorian house. Sharp-edged roof line, big windows. As it happens, it's actually the house that one of Aaron's childhood best friends grew up in, a friend to this day. It's a house that we've both been in countless times, her more so than me, of course. It's one of these houses that... When you walk in, what really hits you is the aura of history. There's the creaky floors, there's the drafty windows, especially this time of year, but there's also that that banister running up the staircase that's been worn smooth with time. It's one of these houses where, where the present somehow feels enhanced by the past, right? You, you spend time in a house like that one and you cannot help but imagine all the faces, all the people, the families, both those now, the family we know there, but also all the ones who came before them, for whom that house was more than just a house. It was a home. It's one of those houses that reminds you somehow that You are part of this much longer, this much bigger story. You know, Matthew's telling of the Christmas story, I think, functions in much the same way. The incarnation, according to Matthew's gospel, is about connecting the past with the present. Last week, Annie pointed out to us how Mark's gospel, it wants to point forward towards the the cross. But Matthew's gospel, it wants to point us back to the beginning. For Matthew, the birth of Jesus, it's not the start of a new story, but rather the continuation of a very old one. And there's no better illustration for this than than the whole of his first chapter. The whole first chapter of Matthew's gospel is full of names, right? Both in these verses that we've just read, but also in the verses that immediately precede them. Matthew starts with a genealogy, a list of, of names of all of those people who this baby Jesus is descended from. 
It's easy for us to skip over names, particularly the hard-to-pronounce ones when we come across them in Scripture, but, but there's an important thing revealed in these names, two important things, in fact. First, Matthew is revealing to the reader in this long list of names that the God who is at work in and through this child called Jesus is the same God who has been at work through all of Israel's history. Right? Open up your Bible. Go back and read those names. It begins with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. Right? In the list of, of the ones Jesus has descended from are some of the heaviest hitters in the history of Israel. But what's fascinating is that that is not where the list ends. The list is not just one of the great men of Israel's past. It also includes the names of women, of foreigners, of outsiders. There's the name of a woman named Rahab, a prostitute for whom Israel would not have succeeded in their takeover of Canaan had she not come to their aid. There's the name of Ruth, the Moabite, a foreign widow who ends up becoming the grandmother to the great King David. You read through these names and you realize that they are not all powerful people. In fact, many of them are powerless, including the names in our reading this morning. There's quiet, faithful Joseph a man of utterly modest means. And right next to him is, is the name of that, that teenage girl from nowhere, Nazareth, Mary. Right, the complete list of these names that are taken in through this first chapter of Matthew's gospel suggests to us that the household of faith which is ushered in by Jesus. It's not limited to just a few VIPs, but rather one that is open to all. You know, Aaron and I have moved now maybe five or six times, different apartments and houses and cities. And every time we move, I, I realize something, which is that whatever house it is we have moved into, it never quite begins to feel like home until we've started to hang pictures. I think the same is true for Matthew. Matthew's vision of the Christmas story here in the first chapter, it begins with what is essentially God hanging pictures. Right? Matthew wants us to see the faces and to know the stories of all of those who are now part of God's family. All of those who have found a home in Jesus. Right? The birth of Jesus, according to Matthew, is this moment when God ushers us all inside God's home and begins to point out all the pictures that are hanging on the walls. He begins with some of those pictures that are familiar to us. Here's Abraham and Sarah, God says. That old couple who spent their entire lives building their 401k but never got to use it on account of me. And there next to them, that, that's old Jacob, the trickster. 
the trickster who ultimately discovered that the biggest trick was one played on him. For at the very moment he expected death, he found forgiveness. And here, here's Mary, that utterly terrified looking and yet utterly courageous young woman. Their faces we expect until we round the corner and God begins to show us all the other ones that are hanging there as well. Here God says, this woman is one exhausted mom. And next to her is, is the overworked teacher and next to him is the just plain over it nurse. Here in this room, God says, this is the room with the faces of all the protesters. And next to them is the room with all the faces of the pastors. And next to them is the room with all the faces of the prophets. And yes, in that room right there are the faces of all the politicians. Here, God says, is a picture of that boss who was a real jerk to you. Here's the neighbor who drove you nuts and the sister you're still trying to forgive. Over here, God says, this is the picture of that parent you haven't talked to in 20 years. And right next to them is the great, great, great uncle who gave you your name. Here's the picture of the loved one who you miss so dearly. And right here, God says, why, yes, that, that's your face. There's your face, a little bit of all the above, imperfect, but trying. And at the center of them all, in this house of faces, we get to the face that is at the heart. Here, God says, is Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. God shows us that face at the center of them all that we might recognize that this story that begins with Christmas, it's not just for us. Rather, it is God with us all. See, Christmas at Matthew's home, this beautiful Victorian house, it presents both a comfort and a challenge for us. The comfort is simply found in the fact that, that this child's arrival ushers in the astoundingly good news that we are all loved beyond anything we deserve. That God has built this house called grace that has more than enough room for everyone. But the challenge then, the challenge of course is to live as if that is true. To live as if right next to our face, hanging there on the wall of God's home are all the other faces, all the other faces that have ever been, all the other faces that are right now, and all the other faces that are still yet to be. 
The challenge is to live lives that recognize the same God with us in the eyes of all those other faces as we do in the eyes that look back at us every time we stare into the mirror. You know, sometimes on those walks, we go down Jackson Avenue and we'd be surprised when the door swung open. We'd be surprised to learn that Mrs. Beckley there in her house, she wasn't just spending her time looking at the Christmas tree in the bay window. Instead, she was looking past the Christmas tree out into the world beyond. And when she'd see us passing by, she'd throw the door open and insist that we come in for a coffee or a hot chocolate or just a how are you and a time to catch up. And on those really cold days when you cross the threshold into that beautiful old house, you'd be instantly enveloped by this feeling of warmth. Warmth that was more than just the warm air that permeated the home. Warmth of the heart. And suddenly you'd realize that that house, it felt like something more. It felt a bit like you had just come home. Friends, may we find our home in the birth of this Christ child. And in his eyes, may we see not only our own, but the eyes of others as well.